0: new life in christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the christian life with excellence thanks for listening today you can find our podcast at nlutheranpodcast.com. you can subscribe on itunes apple podcasts spotify and google play music if you have any questions for pastor eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast you can email pastor eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com the elephant in the room the elephant in the room Our scripture this morning comes from the 19th chapter in the book of Acts. It reads this way. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that when the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit said to them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered them all, and overpowered them. Uh, and overpowered them that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, everyone was awestruck. And the name of the Lord Jesus was praised. Also, many of those who became believers among believers confessed and disclosed uh, their practices. A number of those who practiced magic collected their books and burned them publicly. When the value of these books was calculated, it was found to come to 50,000 silver coins. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. We are continuing on in a sermon series that we've been in for the past six weeks called Everyday Evangelism. This is the seventh week of this sermon series, and over the past uh, seven weeks, we've explored these stories in the book of Acts about how God used the disciples to spread the name of Jesus all throughout the world. And you may remember way back, we looked at, um, right after Easter, we looked at several interactions that the disciples had with uh, with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. We spent some time talking about these interactions that the disciples had, and now we're just continuing that conversation. Uh, we are continuing that conversation now and moving into the book of Acts and talking about how the Holy Spirit was working through the disciples and how we see that Uh, that the name of Jesus was spread all throughout the world during this time. So we're just examining these instances, looking at what happens, um, talking about what happens, then maybe uh, drawing some wisdom to see how the Holy Spirit has operated in the past and how the Holy Spirit might operate in our world today. And uh, and the reason that we're doing this is because, uh, as Pastor Ben and I have been talking the last year uh, since I came here and he took on the lead position, we've been talking about... um, what, what makes the Christian life so difficult? And, uh, of course, evangelism is one of those things that we all think is good. And uh, oftentimes, I, many of our heroes of the faith are great evangelists. We're going to read a story. We read a story today about Paul. And when we talk about Paul, what do we say? We say he was the greatest missionary that ever lived, right? We talk about his evangelism. Another great Christian hero is Billy Graham. And what did he do? He was an evangelist, right? And so in the Christian world, oftentimes we talk about evangelism and we lift up and we honor these people who are really, really good at evangelism as we should honor them. And then we feel some guilt because I'm not as good as Billy Graham, right? And you may feel that way too. You're like, I can't even have a conversation with my, you know, brother, or sister who doesn't believe in Jesus, or my children who don't believe in Jesus, or my parents who don't believe in Jesus, or my coworkers. I can't even have a conversation with the person who lives right next door to me. How am I supposed to evangelize to all these people, to all these people who don't know Jesus? And uh, and so we can feel guilty about it. And we can. it's really kind of hard to do that. And so uh, as Pastor Ben and I have been praying for you guys and thinking about you guys, uh, Pastor Ben came up with this sermon series, and as him and I were talking about how we were going to approach this sermon series and what we were going to do in this teaching, um, this is what we decided to do, was just give you guys simple tools, how to share your faith. And that's what we've done the last six weeks. And so uh, I encourage you guys, if you missed any of those, you can catch them on our uh, website or on the podcast. You can go back and listen to all the past sermons for this series, and we're going to just continue that conversation this morning. And this is what we see in our passage. In Acts 19, starting in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that when the handkerchiefs or aprons that had, ha- that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I would say so, <laughs> right? This is kind of bizarre, right? handkerchiefs and aprons, and these are kind of, um, think of uh, uh, like sweat rags. Paul was a manual laborer. He built tents, um, and so that was kind of his day job. And so he would have, you know, he would wrap his, his head with a cloth or something like that. That's kind of what we're talking about, a handkerchief, not that he would blow his nose in it. But, you know, maybe like a sweat rag, dirty clothes. So these are kind of soiled clothes that then the believers would bring to people who were sick, and just the clothes that touched Paul's skin would heal people, and would cast out demons. That's bizarre, right? And it it is bizarre. It should sound bizarre. And in fact, we're told right here in this passage that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And the word here in the Greek literally means off the mark, not on target. So unusual, literally extraordinary, outside of what normally happens. And so we actually only see one other time that, that there's something comparable to this, and it's when Peter's walking down the street and his shadow is cast on sick people and they would be healed. But that's really the only other time we hear about something this bizarre and this strange. And so God was working these strange, unusual miracles through Paul while he was in this city called Ephesus. And this, it's important to know the context of this passage uh, before we jump in. In Acts chapter 19, 19, Paul enters into a city called Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, he does what he normally does when he enters into a new city. He goes to the synagogue. He goes to the Jewish people. He goes to the Jew first. And he begins to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. He tells them about Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He tells them the story. He reasons from the scripture. And oftentimes when he entered a city, he had success. He did pretty well in the Jewish synagogue. But in Ephesus, he didn't. He, he struck out at the synagogue. And in fact, they kind of shooed him away from the synagogue. And so Paul left the synagogue. He stopped reasoning with scripture, uh, with the Jews. And then he entered into the public square, into the Gentile world of Ephesus. And Ephesus was a very large city, a very important city in modern-day Turkey. And uh, in this city, there was this huge temple to the goddess Artemis. And uh, the temple was the main economic driver of Ephesus, we hear later in Acts chapter 19, and the people of Ephesus were very interested in the occult. They were a very religious people, and they were also very interested in magic and sorcery. They were interested in the supernatural. They had these strange cultic practices around Artemis. One of Artemis' big things, the statue of Artemis, had these cryptic runes that nobody could read, and they believed that these runes contained magic. These were people who were enthralled with the supernatural. They were interested in the supernatural. They were interested in the occult. They were interested in things that were outside of normal life, things that were extraordinary. And so Paul then begins to proclaim the gospel in this lecture hall. Uh, And we don't really know much about this lecture hall. It was owned by a guy named Tyrannus, and we don't really know anything more than that. So he was probably some sort of philosopher, and he was a good enough teacher that he had his own lecture hall. So he gave Paul some space to preach about Jesus, to teach about Jesus, and Paul did. And then this is what happens. As Paul's proclaiming the word of God, God begins to use extraordinary miracles to impact the people of Ephesus to proclaim the power of Jesus in the city of Ephesus. And for us, this seems strange, almost superstitious, right? And um, just a quick word on on this, uh, miracles. Uh, the Bible is full of them, and they're bizarre. Miracles are weird. And especially for us in a Western context in the 21st century, um, miracles don't communicate what they did back then, Right? We don't really believe in a supernatural. In fact, when I'm told about a miraculous healing, I mean, just a moment of honesty, I'm usually skeptical at first. Even I am. And I, like, committed my life to teaching and leading a people into the supernatural. Even I'm a little skeptical at first, right? So it's okay if we're a little skeptical um, about miracles. That's, that's the environment that we're in. And we don't see miracles as much anymore, right? We don't see them as much here in the United States. And um, what we're going to learn today, later, is that um, God communicates the gospel. He communicates to his people in a way that makes sense to them. So it makes sense in our world, uh, at least in the Western world in the 21st century, we don't see as many miracles. They're not as prevalent, If you go um, to uh, developing regions of the world, developing countries, where they still believe in the supernatural, they still recognize that that's a reality that operates in our world, miracles are much more prevalent. And it's because they understand it, and they respect it, and it communicates meaning to them. But here, if someone's healed miraculously, 99% of our neighbors aren't going to think anything of it. They're going to think, oh, it was a fluke of science, right? Right? So we here at New Life, we believe that God can do what he wants. And if he breaks into the natural order and does miracles, then that's what he does. We believe that. We respect that. We believe in the supernatural. We believe that God can heal. Um, but we also recognize that it's just not not as prevalent in our world um, as it is in other parts of the world or in the past. So I just want to kind of Get that out of the way. This is kind of a bizarre passage. It's, it's outside of what we normally um, experience. And this particular passage is outside of what they would have even understood um, or, or what they would have expected from God. So Paul was probably a little bit surprised. Luke, at least, who wrote the book of Acts, thought this was a little bit strange. He said, this is unusual. God was doing extraordinary works through Paul. But we see that God was using what the Ephesians knew. They were excited and interested in magic. They were excited and interested in the occult. They were excited and interested in sorcery. And so God used what would communicate to the Ephesians in order to communicate with the Ephesians. He used what looks like magic, what looks unusual, in order to tell them about himself. Right? We good on that? Okay. So let's uh, move on. As we move on through this passage in Acts chapter 19, we're not going to jump into this uh, scene where there are these Jewish exorcists, um, but there are these Jewish exorcists that they uh, they try to cast out demons. They're, this is their professional job. They travel uh, the, the world, they travel the known world, and they do these acts of um, of supernatural feats, right? They cast out demons, they heal people. This is their day job. They're Jewish exorcists. And um, for some reason, they're striking out. They're not able to cast out demons here in Ephesus. And, uh, and so they begin to invoke the name of Jesus in order to cast out demons. And one of the demons is like, I know Jesus and Paul I've heard of, but I don't know who you guys are. And then he whips them up good, right? So that happens. And then the, these Jewish exorcists are sent away and they're humiliated. So what we see here in this passage um, is that Paul, there are extraordinary works happening through Paul, that even the clothes that touch his skin have the power to heal people and cast out demons. But these Jewish exorcists, who are professional exorcists, can't cast out demons. The professionals are rendered powerless, and even even Paul's clothing is rendered powerful because of God. That's what we see here. And then this happens in verse 17 When this became known to all the residents of Ephesus both Jews and Greeks everyone was awestruck and the name of the Lord Jesus was praised also many of those who became believers confessed and disclosed their practices a number of those who practiced magic burned uh, collected their books and burned them publicly when the value of these books was calculated it was found to come to 50,000 silver coins so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So, what happens when in Ephesus, a people who are obsessed with magic and the occult uh, see that God has power over the supernatural? They come to believe in Jesus. It happens, it works. God uses what made sense to the Ephesians to proclaim the name of Jesus, and people are transformed because God communicates to them in a way that makes sense to them. That's what we see here in this passage. And when we enter into this passage, um, this isn't a, a particularly difficult passage to understand, right? The story is pretty clear. Uh, we know exactly what happens. There's not, really much, there's not really anything hard to understand in this passage. The miracles are a little strange, um, but there's nothing, like, really difficult. We read the passage, we understand. Paul, even his clothes are powerful. Wow, that's amazing. And these professional exorcists, they're powerless. And because God shows the Ephesians who are obsessed with the supernatural that God has power over the supernatural, people come to know Jesus. It works. It happens. The name of Jesus is spread and is glorified. And the word of God, it says, mightily prevails. So when we approach a passage like this, um, as I'm thinking and praying over a passage, I ask a couple of questions. And the first question that I always ask is, what does this tell us about God? That's the first question I ask when I'm reading the Bible. What does this passage tell me and tell us about God? Well, we hinted at it a little bit, that God uses what makes sense to the people he's trying to reach to reach them. He uses a language that will communicate to those that he wants to communicate with. He uses what people know in order to show them the power of Jesus Christ. This is what God does. And we actually see this all throughout the Scripture. From the very beginning of Scripture, God uses what makes sense for the people that he's communicating to to communicate to them. That's why when we read the Old Testament, sometimes it's hard to make sense. We wonder why God would operate in the way that he does, why God would do the things that he does. But we see all the way back at the beginning, God uses what makes sense to the people to communicate to them. An example of it is this. Abraham. You guys all know Father Abraham. He had many sons, many sons at Father Abraham, right? So even Abraham himself uh, lived in a world where there were lots and lots of powerful nations, and these nations would enter into formal agreements with one another. We we see these all over the place in archaeology, and these agreements are called covenants. You may have heard that word before. But all a covenant is is a formal agreement between a powerful nation and a weaker nation. The weaker nation will be loyal to the powerful nation, and the powerful nation will uh, will serve uh, or will protect the weaker nation. This is we see these all the time in archaeology in the ancient Near East, um, in the Old Testament era, the two thousand years before Jesus. And what God, when He speaks to Abraham, who would have known about these deals, these agreements, these covenants? God uses a covenant. To make a promise to Abraham. And as you read through Genesis, the back half of Genesis, as you're reading about Abraham, you actually, uh, there are some passages that are like, it, they are just a straight up, a legal agreement. Outlined exactly the way, and we see them, we have them in other uh, stone tablets in archaeology. And this agreement looks exactly like when the Babylonians and the Egyptians did this, and these sorts of things. So God uses what Abraham knows. Abraham is well aware of these covenants. He's well aware of these agreements. And God uses it to communicate with him. But there's always a little bit of a twist in this. There's always a little bit of a twist. Because in Abraham's case, God takes the place of the weaker nation. And he says, if I'm not loyal to you, I will suffer death. That's the agreement that he makes with Abraham. God, the most powerful one. He says, if I'm not loyal to you, then I'll be the one who receives the punishment. So God uses what Abraham knows, but he kind of twisted it on its head. Another example is the Israelites in first uh, Samuel chapter eight, God never intended the Israelites to have a king. He never wanted them to have a king, but they begged God for a king. And so you know what he did? He said, sure, I'll give you a king. If you want to be like the other nations, I'll communicate to you with a king. And so he gives them a king, but he turns it on its head a little bit because he says, but in this kingdom, the king will not oversee the high priest, the religious leaders, the religious leaders will oversee the king. It's always a little bit of a twist. Every time God communicates to his people, every time God comes down on their level and he uses what they would understand to communicate with them, it's always with a twist. It's always a twist. And so this is what we see here in this passage. It is part of God's nature to get on the level of those he's trying to reach. And we see this, the most magnificent example, is when God put on flesh and became Jesus of Nazareth. God could have stood back. He could have been Zeus throwing lightning bolts at the bad people. He could have punished those who didn't follow him and rewarded those who did follow him, but that's not what he did. He could have been Zeus throwing lightning bolts, but instead he got close. He became like the thing he wanted to save. He knew he wanted to save humans, so he became a human. He became like you, and he suffered like you do. He suffered betrayal of friendship. He suffered a horrible, horrible, brutal death like many of us sometimes suffer. In his case, it was violence. In our case, sometimes it's cancer or some other sickness. But he suffered physically, he suffered emotionally, he suffered mentally, the way that you and I suffer, and he did it because he wanted to save us. God became the thing he wanted to save. He got close to us. He didn't stand far back, but he drew very, very close to you and to me. He became like us. To save us. This is the very nature of God. We see it all throughout scripture. Genesis to Revelation. God comes to us. Because we're weak. But he is strong. Because we're unable. But he is able. Because we make mistakes. But he never makes mistakes. God comes to you. Because he loves you. He draws close to you. Because he loves you. He became like you and I to save us. He became like the thing he wanted to save. This is all throughout scripture. This is what this passage is telling us about God. So the next question that we ask is, what does this passage tell us about us? What does this passage tell us about us? Well, it tells us that we are dearly beloved by God. And it tells us that we are loved by God so much that we are set free. That God became like us so that we no longer have to suffer under sin. He became like us so that we may still sin, but we're free from the penalty. We're also free from the guilt of sin. We don't have to walk around with the weight on our shoulders knowing that we messed up because we hear every Sunday, you are forgiven. We hear that every Sunday. You no longer have to walk around with guilt on your shoulders. You no longer have to walk around with pain, carrying the pain of your sins. You are free from your sins. You are free from what other people think about you. You are free from being called a hypocrite because you know what? You are a hypocrite. (laughs) You are. I am too. We follow a perfect God. We try to be like a perfect God and we always mess up. Guess what? You and I, we're hypocrites. And people are going to call us hypocrites, especially if we're trying to tell them about Jesus. But we're free from that. We can say, You know what? I know, but thank God that he forgives me, right? Thank God that he's there for me. This is what this passage, this is the wisdom that we can get from this passage when it comes to evangelism, is get close. Get close to those people who need to be saved. It's easy for us to want to cloister. It's easy for us to want to pull back and cloister ourselves amongst other Christians. It's easy for us to have our nice little country club church where we only know other Christians. We only interact with other Christians. It's nice for us to have our own little Christian restaurants and coffee shops and Christian music. It's nice for us to draw back. It feels good because it's safe. We're safe from the world. We're safe from being told that we're wrong. We're safe from the discomfort that we have when we interact with people who don't believe like us. We're safe from all of those things, but that's not what God did for you. That's not what God did for you. He rolled his sleeves up and he got right into the middle of the mess. And so here's what we get to do. God doesn't demand, but you are free from sin. You are free from any accusations that people might level against you being a Christian. You are free from those things, and you are free to love and to serve and to share your faith with your neighbors. You are free to do it. You don't have to do it, but you get to do it. You get the honor of telling people, That even though I'm a sinner, God forgives me anyway, for no other reason than the fact that God is God. And that's simply how he operates. He has an overflowing, overabundant well of grace, and he has offered it to me, and I've simply just received it. I've done nothing to earn it. I've done nothing to make myself right with God. God has done everything for me, and he can do the same thing for you. You have been freed from your guilt, and you can tell people that they can be freed from theirs. You don't have to get close, but you get to. You get the pleasure of getting close to those who are hurting and telling them that there's a way that they can find comfort. And it's not through alcohol, it's not through relationships, it's not through drugs, it's not through any of those things, but it's only through Jesus Christ. Can you feel the peace and the grace and the love and the joy? You are free to share the good news. You are free to get close. You don't have to be safe. You don't have to be comfortable. Because guess what? If you fail, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the way that God feels about you. If you fall flat on your face, it doesn't change the way that God feels about you. If you mess up on your way trying to share the gospel, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change how God feels about you. You are saved. You are forgiven freely, abundantly, simply because it is who God is and you are free to share that with others. You don't have to, but you get to. So draw close. Be like those who you want to save. Get close to those who are different from you because you have the great immense pleasure of sharing with them the same grace that you received that god loves you and god loves them and nothing that they can do can change that you are free so go be free take on the world get close to those who you want to save